as hell and I wanna get ill So I go to a place where my homeboys chill Fellas out there trying to make that dollar I pulled up in the six fold Alright everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Bored as Hell podcast I'm Ursula the Sea Witch with Big Shiny Robot and I am Andy Wilson, a.k.a. Citizen Bot, also a big shiny robot. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, as you can tell, this is Adam. Um, I'm still not better. Uh, oh, I hate being sick. But anyways, we are still here um, because we want to talk to you about a couple movies. We have Macbeth, In the Heart of the Sea, and then we're going to jump into our final bit of Star Wars retrospective with Return of the Jedi, so we can all finish up just in time for The Force Awakens. Um, so Andy got to see these. Movies. I saw was The Hateful Eight. Uh, which unfortunately I'm embargoed and I cannot discuss for the week and a half. Um, I will just say that it's it's a movie and it exists. So, <laughs> um, but we're looking forward to talking about that one. But Andy, so Herman Melville to Shakespeare. What was what was the better movie here? Uh, they they could both basically be the same movie. Uh, great source material, boring execution. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna flip a coin and we're gonna go with Macbeth first because I saw Macbeth on Monday and I saw it in the Heart of the Sea on Tuesday. And this is it's who's in this one again? Is it Michael? It's Michael Fassbender and Marion Cotillard. And look, they they do great in this movie. Uh, I mean, those are two of the best actors of their generation. Um, it's it's just unfortunate that they yeah. get put into. A, a kind of odd version of Macbeth, which I, I know you're you're a theater guy. I'm a theater guy. Uh, I I love Macbeth. I actually um, saw Macbeth at the Utah Shakespeare Festival, um, you know, several years back, and it was one of the best things I've ever seen. Uh, it's a a really a what should be an easy to adapt film. Um, it's just the the director here decided that hey you know they talk about all these big battles and all these things well why don't we just go ahead and film them are you serious yeah which which you know actually is kind of cool uh yeah but that's not what Macbeth is about it's like it'd be about doing Hamlet and you know making a pirate movie yeah no exactly you're right and and so in that attempt to start this movie off with a big and bloody battle sequence, uh, you lose some of what makes Macbeth Macbeth. And I think they did that in in a lot of things here. Uh, they actually trimmed a lot of things out of the script, which, I mean, look, if you've ever seen a film version of Hamlet, unless it's the four hours long one uh, with, with Kenneth Branagh, there was cutting from that. Um, well, yeah, you, you have to. I mean, you're you're talking about you know a play that's a multi-hour long play. Yeah. That you know, back in the day, that was that was their movies. I mean, that was that was what they had. So, you know, unless you're actually going to a theatrical production, I mean, even most theatrical productions, unless it's like Broadway, they're still cutting stuff because there's just too much. I mean, a lot. You know, a lot of times you've got you know college students or other people or even community theater, and mm-hmm. the, the amount of time it takes to is is one who's done it to memorize all those lines <laughs> it's just yeah. a bit astounding yeah and and so but you take the the problem isn't when you cut shakespeare the problem is when you cut shakespeare and, and add to it you well no and you cut some of the most iconic stuff like you think of the witches from macbeth 
Oh yeah, that they're how important they are. Yeah, how important they are. Double double boiling Boil trouble. Yeah, and and by the pricking in my thumb, something wicked this way comes. Yet neither of those are anywhere. Are in- you serious? No, and and so I get what director Justin Curzel was trying to do. He was trying to take it down a notch, and he was trying to make this a grounded, not supernatural. Uh, film based on Macbeth. And so the witches are just kind of strangely clairvoyant ladies who appear out of the mist and say some random stuff to Macbeth and Banquo. And they're like, Hey, you're going to be, uh, you're going to be King and you're going to be, uh, and your sons are going to be Kings. And, and that's kind of it. And they take a lot of that supernatural element out of it and instead make it really bloody, uh, really dirty. I mean, the the scene right after the big battle sequence, like there's like a giant heap of bodies that they're burning, um, and and Macbeth and Banquo are lying there on the dirt, talking to one another, and they're just covered in filth. Because I mean, that's what you would look like after one of these epic battle sequences. Yeah, I kind of wish that they'd kept the theatricality more in it and mm-hmm. didn't have to bring that realism to it. Um, the play also, or the movie also gets a little bit uh, uncomfortably sexual in in places where there's, you know, the great scene where, uh, okay, so for those not familiar with Macbeth. And shame on you. Yeah, well... It's okay. We're you know not not everyone's into Shakespeare, but um, you know Macbeth. Shame! Shame! <laughs> so, for for those of you not familiar with Macbeth, um, shame. But uh, Macbeth is a Scottish lord who is um, loyal to the King Duncan. Uh, played here by the same guy who played Lupin in uh, in the Harry Potter movies. He's very good. Um, he's very good in this role, actually. Um, and uh, these witches show up and say, hey, guess what, Macbeth? You're going to be king. And so Macbeth tells his wife this, and she's like, hey, you know, if we just, like, murder the king, then you're going to basically be next in line because everybody loves you so much. Yeah. And then, of course, Macbeth finding out that murders are like potato chips and you can't have just one decides to go on a killing spree and goes after everyone. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, and they all die. And everybody dies. So there you go. Um, that's Macbeth for you. But, um, the, the great scene between Macbeth and Lady Macbeth, where she's trying to convince him that they should murder the king, and he's like, no. No, no, no way we can do that. Like, let's let's just see this thing through. And if this prophecy is going to happen, it's going to happen. Um, there's this great element that Shakespeare wrote into it where it is very seductive on the part of uh, of Lady Macbeth and the way that she's trying to convince her husband. Yeah, yeah she's trying to lure him into basically her plot. Yeah, and, and that's why people often refer to a Lady Macbeth as someone who is behind the scenes and yeah trying to you know uh do horrible things um it gets a little overt here because 
I don't remember quite so much hand stuff going on in the original <laughs> Shakespeare text. You know? um, I like the idea of a uh, of of a seduction, and and man, I have seen some steamy onstage performances of Macbeth where there is definite sexuality implied, but mm-hmm. not quite so overt as here and. Look, Joss Whedon did it in uh, in his Much Ado About Nothing. Which actually I was going to bring up about uh, taking a modern retake, but still keeping the classics of what makes you know the original so great. And that was that's a perfect example because that movie's fantastic. Yeah, but he, I mean, but he had some definite like uh, sexuality going on yeah. with, uh, with with Conrad. But I, I think that was more a wink of like. You know, hey, we we gender swapped this character, so now we're gonna add uh, an extra layer of insanity onto this. Um, with with that, but look, just because Joss Whedon did it doesn't mean that you should do it for your movie, Justin Curzel. So um, let, let's. I, I one of you is a better director. <laughs> <laughs> now let me go back to the directing. This film is beautifully shot. I mean, amazing cinematography. So much of this is out on the misty moors of Scotland, and you are there. I mean, it feels cold watching this movie. Mm-hmm. I wish they had paid as much attention to bringing through the the pathos and the the main bits of this movie as they did to building atmosphere. Uh, and and it's not that the performances are bad; um, they, it just didn't quite gel. So mm-hmm. I don't know exactly where the problem was here, but I know that it is definitely amongst my least favorite filmed adaptations of of Macbeth. Um, and I just I just got really bored. Um, there's some cool stuff in here, and you know, if you're a fan of Shakespeare you should probably go see this. I kind of feel about this the same way I feel about, I felt about Krampus last week. Like if, if you like Macbeth, if you like the idea of a rampaging evil Santa monster, then you're going to want to go see this. But everyone else is like, nah, no. Well, and the thing with Shakespeare is Shakespeare can be very dry and boring if it's not brought to you in the right way. So, you know, if it's someone who, didn't bring the right kind of inflection and the right kind of tone to the dialogue, it's going to be heavy handed. It's, it's going to be something that's, you're probably not going to enjoy. So, yeah. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at. It, it was a little more dense than it needed to be. And I just found myself being bored with a play that is one of my more favorites of Shakespeare's, especially of Shakespeare's tragedies. So yeah. uh, really sorry to say that, but four out of 10. Oh wow! I thought, I thought you were maybe going to five or six. Yeah, no, not not quite. Um, it and the the problem with this being boring is shared by the the next movie, in the heart of the sea, which is also an adaptation of sorts. Um, although I guess maybe we can call it a reverse adaptation. Uh, director Ron Howard is trying to tell the quote unquote real-life story of what happened to the whaling vessel, the Essex, which is supposedly the basis for uh, Moby Dick. Moby Dick. So our film actually opens 
with um, with Herman Melville, played here by Ben Weisham, who uh, we saw as Q in in the James Bond movies, uh, most recently Inspector. Yep. He, he's good. We like him. He shows up and he is trying to track down the last survivor of the Essex, played by Brendan Gleeson, who is one of my favorite character actors. Like, just do yourself a favor. If you haven't seen In Bruges, that's a really fun movie. Um, oh, yeah, it's fun. Yeah, I really like Brendan Gleeson. Uh, he doesn't get enough really great roles. Um, and he is unfortunately the best part of this movie, even though the conversation between him and Melville, where Melville's trying to, like, wheedle the story out of him is just... It's 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 just boring and it's just extra padding and it's like, hey, why are we sitting here with you two guys talking in a room about what you're going to tell us in the story instead of actually just showing us the story? Like there's sometimes when like the story within the story element is good. Here it just it was completely unnecessary any dramatic tension that they tried to build up in the rest of the story is lost and it just, it just goes nowhere. Um, but that story that they're trying to tell, um, well, we've got, uh, you got your Chris Hemsworth as the first mate on the Essex. Thor. Yeah. Thor. And then you've got Benjamin Walker. Spider-Man. Who... <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, he, he was Abraham Lincoln, uh, vampire hunter. But we do get Spider-Man too. Oh, was was he in Spider Man too? No, Tom Holland was in it. Oh, okay. Oh, Tom. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so yeah, Tom Holland. Um, yeah, and Tom Holland plays uh, Brendan Gleeson's younger self. Um, but you've got Thor and Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, as first mate and captain of the Essex, and they don't like each other a whole lot. And basically, Chris Hemsworth is the son of a farmer. And he worked his way up, and he's ready to be captain. And uh, Abraham Lincoln, vampire hunter, well, he was born to the sea because his daddy and his grandpappy and all the way up their line, their old uh, (laughs) whalers, and he just kind of fell into his lap. So, yeah, that is – there's some definite tension there. And and they try to bring on these elements of, like, classism and – Uh, and lineage and it it just doesn't work it's like that might have been interesting but it's it's just not handled very well where the film does get interesting are the action sequences where they're actually wailing which let's be frank wailing is a awful and barbaric practice and uh yeah and the fact that we actually did this wholesale and like wiped out so many whales like I can't believe it no, they're um, trying to bring it better too oh jeez yeah, the, yeah, Japan's doing uh, uh, some stuff, about stuff to make it legal again of, of course they are of course they are yeah, <laughs> screw no. you cow screw yeah. you chicken <laughs> oh that's South Park episode. screw you dolphin <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the, um, the what happens is there are no whales to be found until they get a tip that, hey, there's this big group of whales out in the middle of the ocean that if you go after them, uh, 
you could probably get to them except they're being guarded by this giant white whale and he destroyed our ship so don't go there because you'll uh you'll never make it and they're like mm-hmm. through that we're awesome we're gonna we're gonna go after this and of course um the whale is kind of smart like somewhere between like a like a Jurassic Park and a Jaws to the Revenge mm-hmm. where it's like I'm coming after you guys because I I know what you were trying to do and you were the ones who harpooned my friends and yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I don't know it all of this comes back to one central point if you have as good of a story as Moby Dick Mm-hmm. If you have as awesome of characters as Captain Ahab, why are you switching them out for these other kind of low rent versions of them? Like, why do we need to know the true story of what happened? Yes, it's harrowing and it's supposedly real, but we should just make a really good Moby Dick movie. And mm-hmm. I would have rather have seen that than this, which I don't know what this is. It was it was boring. It was not well told. Um, it was sometimes cool to look at and sometimes interesting, but overall, just uh, again, same problem as Macbeth, having a hard time translating the source material onto the screen and making it interesting, and trying to go for big action sequences to try and wow the audience rather than uh, looking for the real character and the real story behind it. Mm-hmm. Uh, exact same place as I am on Macbeth, 4 out of 10. So it seems to be like the, the like you mentioned, the kind of the common theme with this week is people need to know when to leave well enough alone. I mean, there's a reason why we consider some of these you know, tales and books and plays and everything else classics is because you know, they were they were the author or the artist's work at the height of of their brilliance. So, you know, by all means, you can take an idea and try to do a modern take, like we mentioned with Joss Whedon and Much to Do About Nothing. But he didn't change the story. He didn't make it into a murder mystery. You know, um, so you know, by all means, let's let's see new versions of you know Moby Dick and and Macbeth or Hamlet or whatever else. But you got to remember, you can't go back and try to come up with a quote unquote better version because you're not going to, it's not going to happen. So I don't know. Yeah. That was just my random thoughts. Cause I, I said, I didn't see him. So I can't weigh in too much. <laughs> I, I think that's, I think that's pretty much the case. And I just, yeah, uh, there, there was no reason to mess around with these. I, I mean, I kind of see where they were going, but it just didn't work as well as if they would have just been more straightforward with all of it. So, anyway, so that, those, those are the movies for this week. Something I can't weigh in on, though, because I've seen it a million times, uh, is, of course, Return of the Jedi, the last movie in our Star Wars retrospective. Um, I'm going to honestly hop in every now and then and say some stuff, but as we can all tell, my voice is going more and more every second. So, Andy, I know you love this movie, so why don't you start out with it, with, you know, everything that you love about it, and I'll kind of chime in kind of throughout. Sure. What I find most interesting about Return of the Jedi is it seems to present a kind of interesting stark dividing line amongst Star Wars fans. There are certain people who are like, you know, this is where the movie started going downhill. Uh, Lucas got cute. 
he wanted to create little teddy bears with the Ewoks, and that's and and he started, you know, creating stuff for commercial reasons. <coughs> than, see, if you look at it though, the funny thing about that is the Ewoks originally were these weird flamingo birds. So I think when people, because I've never had a problem with Ewoks myself, so when people say. Did oh, well, the Ewoks are this and that. I'm like, you do know that that was like the final cre- iteration of this creature. It didn't start that way. So, you know, yeah, of course, they're going to sell more teddy bears. They're going to sell flamingos, but still. Yeah, and, and there were other iterations where the, the Ewoks were Wookiees and yeah. the, the Wookiee planet. And uh, there were other versions where the Ewoks were more feral and kind of caveman-like and... Um, I never had a problem with the Ewoks. Uh, I was also six. So, you know, I, I, it hit me at right about that same age. But what I do want to talk about with Return of the Jedi that I think is the most important thing here. No. <laughs> we'll get to that. But Return of the Jedi is a movie that grew up with me. As I mentioned, when I first saw and this was the first Star Wars movie that I actually remember seeing in the theater. I remember. I do, actually. I saw it when it came out. It wasn't, I was three, so I didn't see it in theaters when it came out, but I saw it later on. Like, you know, they did a re-release a couple years later. Yeah. Um, but I'm amazed at then. So, I mean, obviously I was watching it all throughout my childhood, the same way I watched all the other Star Wars movies ad nauseum. I have great memories of actually, uh, I had a ton of the Return of the Jedi toys and I would oh yeah in the movie and I would act it out with my action figures what was going on on the screen as it was happening. And and I love that. And I would like go do the like the Sarlacc scene over and over again. Mm-hmm. Tons of fun and I had tons of Ewoks and, and that was great. Um, so I really loved it as a kid. But getting to be a teenager and understanding this film more and then growing into an adult, I started to understand that this movie wasn't about the Ewoks and it wasn't about all of that other stuff, that it came down to those moments in the throne room between Vader and the Emperor. And and it was that personal struggle and when that happened... It's a twisted and, love triangle. <laughs> when, when that all happened, it like switched on a light in my mind. And suddenly the entire Star Wars universe was illuminated differently for me. And it became very grown up. Um, it, it became this... Ma- yes, it was a massive story about uh, a battle of good and evil and you know, a space fight was happening and an on the ground battle was happening, but really it came down to the battle for two men's souls Yeah, and, and how they, they were trying to turn Luke Skywalker and how he was trying to turn his father back because he felt some sort of good in him. And, and that really resonated with me. Now you mentioned the no thing. Um, when, when the, original re-release of the Blu-rays came out, um, I somewhat famously uh, refused to buy them. And I put I, up yes, a, you did. <laughs> I, I put up a, a, an article on Big Shiny Robot and on the Huffington Post and said, 
this is why I canceled my my Amazon order um, because Lucas messed around with that scene, and when um, when the Emperor is hitting Luke with his Force lightning, and he says, "Father, please," and Vader looks at him, looks at the Emperor, looks back at him, and silently makes that decision to pick up the Emperor. It's and perfect. It, it is. It's so perfect. And then Lucas decides on the Blu-rays that he's going to make him go, no. No. And it, it, it cheapens the scene because the whole point of what made that so powerful was it was, you could, you'd sense that the, the inner anguish in Vader's mind about, you know, do I follow my master? Do I save my son? I mean, you know, do, you, you see like it was as badly as Hayden Christensen turned to the dark side in episode three, this was the most beautiful way for him to turn back to the light side. Um, And it was, it was magnificent. And here's the thing. I, people like to bitch and moan about the the, the special editions and the changes. You know, honestly, I don't care who shot first. I mean, if Harrison Ford doesn't care, why should I? Um, No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. But, uh, (laughs) uh, so there, there are some things that, yeah, that don't matter. I mean, yeah, they, they cleaned it up, added a few seconds, whatever else. Um, but for me, this was the cardinal sin because that that scene was perfect the way it was. It doesn't need it. And I'm sorry if you disagree, but you're wrong. <laughs> well, and the whole idea was, well, we didn't have the technology in in the 70s and 80s to do this the way that I wanted to. And so I'm doing this. It's like, no, George Lucas could have had Vader say no in 1983, and he didn't. Yeah. He made that choice, and he's adding it back in as kind of a middle finger to all the fans who were pissed off at the prequels and the whole no, <laughs> um, because that's what he's hearkening back to. The fact that you can say more with silence than a single word. So, George Lucas. Oh. <laughs> yes, exactly that. So, um, you know, what's interesting too is Return of the Jedi is the one that got the most messed around with between both the inclusion of uh, the, that Jedi rock sequence at, in Jabba's palace with the with the music video, Precise noodles in her band, yeah, yeah, and and the and changing uh, the the Ewok celebration at the end from the, the Yub Nub song to the celebration across the universe. Um, and they gave the Rancor a radio. It was weird. So <laughs> that's, that's really inside. I like that. Joke. <laughs> anyway. So um, it, I, I kind of view both of those as kind of sixes. It's like, I don't think either of them is actually like that sacred or that perfect. I know that I prefer to watch the originals because that was what Star Wars was to me growing up. Mm-hmm. But I also understand that the the song, the Lapti Nack song that they're singing in uh, in Jedi was pretty terrible. Well, I, I remember being. Um, I think it was it was right before the special editions came out. I don't know, it might have been after. I don't know. I think it was 15. And for Christmas one year, all I wanted was the box set of the Star Wars uh, soundtracks. And I had one disc for each movie, and then I had a fourth disc that had like almost like almost like B-sides. It was like unreleased tracks or 
um, longer versions of famous tracks. And you know, I'm very thankful that that song is not on there because as weird as the old original song was, it, you know, it fit better with the theme of what was going on. Yeah, but it still like stuck out like a sore thumb from like this other, uh, a lot of other music and the and the yub nub music from, I I mean I love that because that's probably what Ewoks would sound like if they're celebrating. I don't know. Yeah, I mean and it was cool. I did, I did like in the special editions seeing you know the the fall of the empire across all these different worlds. I did. Um, and you know it was it was cool seeing Coruscant for the first time because we never we'd never seen it before. Yep. Um, and then of course with the Blu-rays they had to throw in Naboo and all the other fun stuff, and that was fun. I, I don't care about that. Um, like I said, my, I'm not gonna we're not gonna go back and beat a dead horse. But the the addition of no, like I still have not watched the special edition of Return of the Jedi because of that. Like I just I own the whole set. I've seen all the movies again, um, and I will go back and I'm doing a rewatch before Force Awakens, so I will go see it, but honestly, I've had that for years now, I, I can't bring myself to go watch it. Yeah, you know what, my, we ended up buying the Blu-rays, and this most recent recent version, oh, the Steelbooks? Have, it does not have the no on it. The so, Steelbooks don't? Well, I don't know if the Steelbooks don't, but the version that I have, um, for some reason, it huh. not, so. See, that's, isn't, and again, like we, we, the joke I made about the Rancor having a radio was from Steven Spielberg going back and messing with ET and taking away their guns and giving them radios. You know, at least Steven Spielberg had the balls to go back and say, "Hey, you know what? I was wrong," and fixed it. So if if Lucas wanted to go back and be like, "Hey, I was wrong," and took that out, then you know what? More power to you. Yeah. I'm happy for you. Yep. So there is no no on the versions that I have or else I would refuse to watch them because I like, I braced myself and then it didn't happen. And I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. This is, this is all right then. Because like I said, that was like the pivotal scene yeah. and, and why, why I really loved that movie. Um, but just, that is so cool. There's so much in this movie that's really cool. And I, you don't notice it as a kid, but it looks like from the beginning that Luke is a sort of weird, dark Jedi. He's yeah. now dressed all in black. He shows up and he starts force choking people in Jabba's palace. Uh, it's like, he's not necessarily like acting super 100%. Um, like we would think a Jedi Knight would act. Yeah. And something kind of fun too, um, for anyone reading comics, if you go back and you should be reading the Star Wars ones, the whole series are amazing. But the Darth Vader comic is my favorite. It's my favorite comic out right now, and it takes place in between Episode Four and Five. And there's a scene where he actually goes to visit Jabba the Hutt to recruit Boba Fett. And you go back and pick it up, and it's like it's it's on the Marvel Now app now. It's it's or you can pick it up probably cheap at your comic shop, Doctor Volts if you're in Salt Lake. Um, but it's a scene, every single frame is a shot-by-shot retake of when Luke walks into Jabba's palace from when the door opened, he walks in, he chokes the Gamorrean guard, he stands on the Rancor pit. I mean, it's, go back and see it, pick it up, and then maybe watch the movie at the same time. It's really, really cool. That's super awesome. Those those comics are absolutely amazing. And but yeah, it's, uh, yeah. yeah, it's cool because Luke, you know, Luke comes in and, and, this, and we won't go into conspiracy theories or you know what we think about it, but the whole thing, people say, oh, when Vader turned back to the light side, Luke became a Jedi. 
and destroyed the Sith, that brought balance to the Force. That's what Anakin was supposed to have happen. No. The balance of the Force means balance, not like it's weighed towards the light side. So if you think about it, at the end of this movie, you've got a character who's still training to be a Jedi. He never actually becomes a Jedi. He never goes through the trials, even though Yoda says, oh, well, you know, you must face Vader to become a Jedi. You know, he doesn't do that. He actually beats Vader using the dark side and then, you know, gets control of himself. So at the end of the movie, you've killed the Sith and the Master and the Apprentice and the Jedi are dead. There are no Jedi because Luke never becomes one. And any, by all means, it counts my purposes. He was kind of a, like they say, a gray Jedi, we'll say, you know, uses the light and the dark side. So if you think about it, at the end of this movie, there is true balance to the Force because there's no Sith, there's no Jedi, there are Force users. And so I'm really, I'm, I'm really, I don't, I'm not trying to do speculation about Force Awakens, but I kind of hope they go into that with that mindset because, you know, like we said, Kylo Ren, he's a matter of Ren. He's not a dark Jedi. He's not a Sith. So I think it'd be kind of cool to go into that where, you know, the, the, the Force really is at balance. The Jedi are no more. The Sith are no more. And they just kind of go and do something new. So that's that's what I've, my take on the end of it was. That was yeah. that was a two-hour conversation I had with Lee George Cade a couple months ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, we we had a we had a very interesting conversation with that on on my Doctor Who podcast where we just speculated about what the movie's going to be about. So if you do want to hear speculation, we got a whole lot of that over there. But uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think that would be an interesting place for them to go because. Yeah, Luke, Luke was, but Luke also understood at the very end that like the way to win was like, he throws away his lightsaber and he's like, nope. And that that was a lesson he learned from, from Obi-Wan. Yeah. I'm not going to fight you. That's it. And, and he's laying there getting, getting force lightninged at the mercy of his belief that his father would actually save him. Yeah. And that's uh that's very interesting. So. so yeah, so Jedi, I mean, like you mentioned at the beginning, there are some detractors. I, I don't I'm sorry, I don't see your I don't I don't see their viewpoints. I don't understand where they're coming from. Is it a perfect movie? No. I mean Empire still ranks above it as far as a better film. Um, but you know, had I been you know, watching this back in nineteen ninety or nineteen eighty three and you know, doing a review, I easily would have put it at an eight point five or a nine. Yeah, that's exactly where I'm at. Like eight and a half or nine, I don't know exactly. It's like it feels like eight and a half isn't quite enough, but it feels like nine is maybe a little eight point seven five. Eight point seven five. Eight point seven seven repeating. Uh, I don't know something somewhere in there. Eight point seven 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 with a line over the last seven. Exactly. <laughs> it's one of those. It's it's really good and. Um, I, you know, you look at those huge space battles and we got B-Wings. I love the B-Wings. Oh, yeah. It looks so cool. Um, it's so much cool stuff happening in, um, in Jabba's palace. So much cool, so much cool stuff happening in that, in that final space battle. Uh, Admiral Akbar. That's a trap. (laughs) (laughs) Just... (laughs) There's there's a ton there and and um you you've got a lot of cool character development with with Han and Leia down on Endor uh even not doing a whole lot but you know they they actually you know kind of he's 
he's become a little more wizened. He's, mm-hmm. you know, when, when she's like, when, when she's talking to Luke and, and he shows up and he's like, Oh, you could t- tell Luke. Is that who you could tell? And she's like, I, and he's like, eh, he's going to walk off frustrated. And then he goes back and he's like, look, so I am a little confused. Why, why Leia agreed to make out with her brother when she's like, I've always known. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's one of those, like, I've always known, like, I've always known that Kylo Ren was Luke Skywalker. Hey, if you can't keep it the pants, keep it the family. So, oh, all right. So I do have a bit of a uh, movie trivia for you. I want to, I want to test you. Okay. So in, uh, over the Sarlacc pit on Jabba's barge, there are three guards that have names that are linked to a very, very famous sci-fi movie. Do you know what they are? I do not. Wow. Uh, you, there was three guards. One was named Klaatu, one was named Barada, and one was named Nikto. And no those way. three, those three, um, as and people know, were still. the Vader said still. It was the, yeah. the word that she had to say to the robot to keep it from killing everyone. Klaatu, Barada, no, no, no. Yeah. But and I, I can't remember if this is true or not. Um, but I believe because um, Billy uh, Billy D. Williams, his son, was on the set with him and helping out doing stuff. And he was one of the weak way guards. And I think he was one of those. I can't remember if you go on Big Shiny Robot. Uh, Brian Young did an interview with him a couple years ago. Well, um, I helped transcribe part of it, and that was one of the stories that he was talking about. So, um, kind of fun little old school, you know, sci-fi trivia fact there for. People who want to sound smart at pub quiz or if you ever got on Jeopardy. <laughs> that's, that's really smart. I did not know that. That's really cool. And here I was thinking I knew so much Star Wars trivia. Nope. That's <laughs> that's amazing. So cool. Well, I mean, that's that, I think that kind of wraps us up with that. Um, yep. you know, next week we've got uh, this really big, big movie. I'm sure everyone's really excited for it. Uh, I know I've been counting down the days for Sisters. Uh, which is the Amy Poehler, uh, Tia Fey <laughs> comedy. Uh, but of course, of course, of course, uh, we have Star Wars, uh, The Force Awakens, which I know I've been excited for since the moment I got the text that Disney bought Star Wars and the new movie's coming out this year. So uh, yeah. that's all we're going to be talking about. No, 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 no. I have seen The Road Chip, and we will talk about The Road Chip. Okay, I guess we we'll do our vegetables before we have our dessert. And, so. and... Uh, I I will also get to see the Big Short, um, which is opening wide this week. Uh, actually, um, the my screenings of Sisters and the Big Short are at the exact same time, and I can't decide which one to go to. Um, I would, from the feedback I have gotten uh, from people who cannot review it yet, I would say go with the Big Short. Yeah, that's what I've heard as well. And what will probably happen is I will. I will find a Saturday sometime within the next couple of weeks or just a day off work because I have I have some time off work that I'm taking uh, where I will just go in and I will watch Star Wars like all day long. And then in the middle, I'll just – I'll go see Sisters as well. <laughs> so, all I right. I love Amy Poehler and Tina Fey. Oh, I, I do too. I'm just – not. I, I, I there's some mixed things on that. So, But yeah, Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars. All next week is Star Wars. Um, but we're really excited for it. Uh, we have some friends who are seeing it. Uh, you dig it into some press screenings. I've heard heard rumors of. So I know they're excited for it. Uh, I, honestly, the movie does premiere on Monday night over in Europe. So if you are listening to this before Monday night, 
Um, I'm I'm tempted to go on media blockout for three days because I don't want some idiot to pop up and be like Han died, you know, because you know that would just be rude. But uh, keep an eye out, just be aware of that because there are going to be people halfway across the world who have seen it. Um, but yeah, Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars. All we can think about is Star Wars. Real uh, fans will not post spoilers. I will, however, be posting fake spoilers. Um, like Kylo Ren was really Jar Jar Binks. Who knew? Or BB-8 was the Emperor, which is my favorite comic right now. So, <laughs> All right, everyone, thank oh you gosh. so much for tuning in. Hopefully next week when we're excited for Star Wars, I will not sound like Ursula the Sea Witch. Uh, but have a good week and Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars. And may oh, the be with you. And hail Satan and have a lovely afternoon. Trippin' but it's alright Homie scored a key, he's gonna fly Punk ass fly